This program is underwritten by Sustainable Settings, a nonprofit organization devoted to harvesting nature's intelligence in its research and demonstration of sustainable human settlement. Sustainable Settings is supported by volunteering, the sale of our organic farm products, and your tax-deductible donation. Call 970-963-6107 and visit us on the web at www.sustainablesettings.org. Hi, welcome to Grassroots. This is uh, Sustainable Solutions. I'm Brooke LeVan. And on this show, we interview practical visionaries. And today, we're very fortunate to have Hugh Lovell here. Uh, Hugh Lovell is the author of Quantum Agriculture, and he's a biodynamic farmer and a multidisciplinary scientist, teacher of soil science, and uh, biodynamic practitioner. So he actually isn't just theory, he uses what he does and, and what, he, uh, what he talks about. Uh, Hugh is uh, recently in town because uh, over in Hotchkiss we had a, a gathering, an annual gathering of the biodynamic preparation makers. And uh, Hugh gave a, a very detailed uh, a explanation. I think, let me just say that what Hugh and his work uh, in Quantum Ag uh, and his books have done for me is to illuminate and to describe some of the more esoteric language that came through Rudolf Steiner in 1924 in his agricultural lectures. Um, Hughes brought it uh, in through the scientific language and uh, helped many, especially in this country, but in other countries as well. He works half the year in Australia and half the year in Georgia, and, uh, but he works worldwide. But his work has, and his clarity, has helped uh, many of us understand and put better put to use these biodynamic practices. So, Hugh, welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah, what a great pleasure to have you. And um, today, uh, in this episode, we're going to have you uh, help us understand how biodynamics works. Well... I'll be working from a presentation that originally I put together for our advanced course in Twello, Netherlands, which was a couple weeks ago. And then I showed it again at the Biodynamic Preparation Makers Conference in Hotchkiss. And <clears throat> I thought that uh, because some people aren't familiar with biodynamics at all, and some people are sort of familiar with it because it was the method that was introduced by Rudolf Steiner back in 1924. And Steiner didn't call it biodynamics, but the people who picked it up from his lectures, that's what they called it. They needed some name for it. And so bio meant life and dynamics referred to the life activities or the life processes. And Rudolf Steiner had a very penetrating understanding of how these life processes worked, what they were, 
and how to work with these life processes so that they all worked in a harmonious way. And when you look at nature, then you can see that very fertile environments have developed in various places on the earth without any human intervention. Nature knew how to get nitrogen out of the air, knew how to get calcium out of the soil, knew how to produce growth and reproductive growth as well. And nature really deserves our best efforts at understanding how these things work. Well, wait a minute. Now, aren't we just smarter than all that and, and we can figure out systems and... <clears throat> they call it industrial agriculture, I guess, these days. But. Well, better living through chemistry is the slogan that I heard <laughs> when I was a chemistry student. And, uh, yeah, and one of my favorite professors was a gardener and used every chemical recommended by, uh, you know, the chemical agriculture uh, culture of that time. And he had a family of six kids. I dated his daughter. Uh, she's a really, really nice person. Uh, didn't deserve me. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, they, they gardened. He gardened for his family and everything. And, uh, and the slogan was, better living through chemistry. And... So that was my first exposure, really. And I gardened while I was studying chemistry, so I planted potatoes and radishes and lettuce and cucumbers and things like that and did a little bit of gardening, even though I didn't really know much of anything about it. But I had grown up. Dad had always had a compost pile. The lady across the street and her next-door neighbor, they all had compost piles. I thought everyone had compost piles when I was a kid. I didn't realize that it was a rare thing at all. So we were closer to nature maybe than we realized. Uh, so a lot of things were just carryovers from the past, and knowing how to make nature work was just part of life. My parents both were born at the turn of the 20th century. My father was born in 1899. And they were old enough to be my grandparents compared to the other parents of kids in my schools. So they went back to a time when 90% of Americans were farmers. And everything was organic. Everything was organic because there was no no other. There wasn't any chemical or, you know, any kind of artificial agriculture. So how does biodynamics get into, how do you wake up to that or, uh, you know, what? where's the epiphany there, the beginning? Uh, well, I was, uh, I had uh, gotten out of the U.S. Air Force this was during Vietnam, and I decided that enough of this death, I wanted to learn about life. And I thought biochemistry would be the way to go. 
I would find out about the chemistry of life. And I was excited about it. The chemistry of thought, the chemistry of emotion, the chemistry of boy meets girl, and we call it chemistry. You know, what's the chemistry of that relationship? And that was an exciting topic. I wanted to know all I could know about it. And so in my innocence, because I'd avoided mathematics and science in high school, and I'd sort of taken the minimum of those courses, and I'd studied business and economics, and I'd studied sociology, and now I thought I was going to tackle biochemistry. And I knew nothing about it. I had to take algebra and trigonometry before I could even take calculus. That would have sent me down the road right there. Uh, <laughs> Didn't you tell me earlier that you uh, decided you wanted to take soil biology or something like that, and they didn't understand why you uh, wanted to do that? Well, in my <clears throat> biochemistry curriculum, it was recommended that I take soil microbiology. Oh. Because this was where the rubber met the road in terms of biochemistry. Mm -hmm. You know, the biochemistry of soil has a lot to do with the life in the soil. That's the soil biology, you know. <laughs> and to take soil microbiology was, <coughs> it was recommended in my uh, curriculum. Oh, it was, okay. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, we had 32 students in this class, and none of them were ag majors. So where, where does Steiner and biodynamics enter into? Well, Steiner was, uh, he grew up, his father was a station agent for the Austrian railway. And he was stationed out on the very edge of the Austrian empire at that time. And so as a boy, his father got posted closer and closer to Vienna. And his father was a believer, you might say, in science. Now, science is a belief system. Oh, yeah. And so it's, it takes the place in some people's lives of religion because what are our belief systems? Well, usually we call these things a religion. Well, it's based on assumptions, isn't it? It's based on assumptions. It's also based on observation and data. And theory. And, yeah, and there's theories. And there's theories in religion. And there's theories in, sci you know, in science. Well, and then and at some you point really get a, an appreciation of what people truly believe in when they get deathly ill. You know, somebody gets cancer. And what do they really believe in? So at some point, quantum theory or quantum mechanics and the study of it enters into your learning too, right? Your understanding. Well, I studied this, of course, in studying biochemistry. So mathematics and physics were all part of my curriculum in biochemistry. And 
Here I was studying biochemistry with the idea that I would find out the chemistry of thought, the chemistry of emotion. You know, what? Do you think there isn't a chemistry of our mental activities? They have to have some kind of a chemical uh, thing going on to exist. Mm -hmm. You know? You could take chemicals and you could alter your mental uh, operations. It's like, I thought I was really going to get into that. Now, unfortunately, I got disillusioned. And in my uh, junior year, then I, I like thought what a futile idea it was to think I was going to get that far with biochemistry. We weren't even close to that. When chemical reactions were taking place at the speed of thought, then we'd send a, samp a sample through a gas chromatograph and it took a few minutes and we broke it apart into all the constituent chemistry that we could detect in the chromatograph and it took a couple minutes and we were not finding out the chemistry of living organisms, we were finding out the chemistry of death immediately following life. This is how a lot of <clears throat> this is how a lot of soil tests have been taken for years too, measuring the or sintering out, or they use acids or whatever to uh, yeah, well, to, well, to <laughs> just measure the elements, but not the living forces. <clears throat> Well, in just consider in the soil, an earthworm has got a chemistry. Sure. And it, it's got phosphorus working pretty good in it, and calcium, and these different components, sulfur and nitrogen and so forth. If you measured the amount of phosphorus or nitrogen or carbon or whatever was in that earthworm's chemistry, you would have no idea about its influence on the soil and how much it might facilitate the growth of plants. It just, just because you know how much nitrogen or phosphorus or whatever is in the earthworm doesn't mean you know anything about what its activities are contributing to the life that you're growing in your crops. So, so bring so, Steiner in for us now. Yeah, well, Steiner C was, you might say, a scientist of the invisible. The unseen. Because right? yes, because he he took the thinking of science into that realm. Into what? The Into the realm the... of the invisible. Okay. Well, just think about it. There's a lot that goes on in our lives that's invisible. We don't see smells, just for example. We only smell the smells. And then we might associate those smells with where they're coming from and what's going on there. <clears throat> so we might witness phenomenon, right? But not so we, it, we, the organisms are celebrating or not or whatever. And that's how we are able to see what is unseen. Would you say that? biophotonic luminescence. And this is where the 
each cell in your body, in my body, in an embryo's body is giving off and receiving photons in the infrared mainly at the rate of billions per second. So every cell in your organism and mine is in communication with every other cell. So there's a light there that maybe some people can actually see. Yeah, so, do so... Animals maybe can see it? I, I mean, oh, yeah, know. animals... I'm pretty certain that dogs see it because the dog spectrum, like, is away from the blue and the green and is into the yellow and red. And I'm pretty sure they must see in the infrared. Mm-hmm. But if you take, took a picture infrared of your body, it's glowing. Okay. And this biophotonic luminescence <coughs> is telling each cell where it is in regard to all the other cells in your body. And for that matter, in regard to every other thing outside of you in the universe, which so, could be the moon and planets and stars and things. Okay. I don't know if I want to open that can yet, but <laughs> but what did Steiner uh, give us, so to speak? Uh, he opened a door for us, or many, the idea of that the world is alive, number one, but also that we can use our tools, and he gave us some tools to, as stewards, create and or co-create uh, harmony and balance of a kind uh, since we've actually thrown it out, out of kilter with chemicals we've, and radiation yeah. and a bunch of other things. We've been a bunch of really uh, juvenile delinquents. We have gone out there and pitched grenades into our functions in society. Soiled our nest, not in the good way. but <laughs> Well, in, a, in an absolutely uh, inconsiderate way. We haven't had any consideration for what the effect might be. Some of them might be quite good, and some of them might be devastating. And I just saw on a television thing this morning how if you are a person who suffered from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma after the use of Roundup, that there's been a court case won and you might be eligible for some sort of uh, compensation, compensation mm -hmm. for the use of Roundup causing your non-Hodgkin's lymphoma because <laughs> it has been proven in court that that can occur and has and does occur. I mean, just for the listeners or viewers, uh, Roundup is one of the most pervasive chemical agents used today. Is that correct? Well, it's the most profitable agricultural chemical of all time which means it gets used a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, it has made more money for the makers of glyphosate than any other chemical used in agriculture. 
And that goes back to the introduction of DDT in 
come forth from the landscape, come forth from our individual farms. So if we could, could understand what to do when to shift that energy, even though we see the energy in the results that we see with our senses and don't see the energetic movement of things in such ranges as the infrared or well, the ultraviolet or whatever. <clears throat> well, I can say that we've been on the ranch here uh, in Carbondale Sustainable Settings for the last 16 years and gradually did a lot of the physical, horizontal, I call it, permaculture and good sound organic stuff and composting and things like that. But it wasn't until we were really starting to use the biodynamic in addition to that, that we started to see the life take off. And uh, we now have five and soon we'll have six years of scientific laboratory soil uh, tests that show that the life and how the life respirates and, and what's really going on in the soil has grown exponentially in the last five, six years. And that's due to the work you've illuminated for us, but also going into the, to the biodynamic preparations and having more of a relationship uh, with the life that we work with and co-create with. And the NRCS, the USDA, is astounded. We, we were one ranch in 50 that they tested for the last five or six years that were, they put us kind of aside and they, they just don't, they can't explain it. They're, yeah, but you stood out like dog's balls. Oh, my God. Yeah, and so they're wondering, what are you doing? And people, yeah. of course, recognize it. The, the other form of data is the flavor that the, the people, we can't produce enough. Right, yeah. our milk, our meat, our eggs, our vegetables, and the chefs know the difference. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so there's other forms of data as well as the lab. Oh tests. yeah, and um, so something's working. And I think what we're going to do here is wrap up this episode, and let's do uh, the next one. But I'd like you to get into how this works. Yeah, because these biodynamic preparations are like having a, a medicine chest of magical potions. We call them land therapies to help yeah. people understand them. Yeah, but they're like magical potions. Now magic, you gotta understand, is simply a science that we don't understand. Right. So we're talking about something that works because it works. Mm -hmm. There's a science behind it. Mm -hmm. But to understand what that science is has been a real challenge for people practicing biodynamics. Let's hold and everybody Rudolf in suspense. Steiner was Wait. such a great scientist <laughs> to have put those threads together. Yeah. Uh, of all of the scientists of the 19th century, and there were many great ones, and uh, Steiner stands out as absolutely jaw-dropping, you know, scientific right accomplishments. Right. It just it just boggles your mind. It is. Well, let's uh, close here. Um, thank you for being with us, Hugh. And we're going to do a couple more episodes. Look for that. 
uh, at Grassroots. Thank you, Grassroots, again. And uh, this is Brooke Levan, Sustainable Solutions. This program is underwritten by Sustainable Settings, a nonprofit organization devoted to harvesting nature's intelligence in its research and demonstration of sustainable human settlement. Sustainable Settings is supported by volunteering, the sale of our organic farm products, and your tax-deductible donation. Call 970-963-6107 and visit us on the web at www.sustainablesettings.org. <laughs>